Well, good morning. Glad you're here. And uh, we are in our summer series in the book of 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles. Uh, both of those books, actually, they go together. Uh, a lot of the stories overlap. It's the story of um, kind of the middle section of David's life. Um, and that's where we've been. The series title has been, What Happened, Tell Me. What Happened, Tell Me. Um, this is where we're at all the time, right? We want to know information. We want to know what happened. Tell me what happened. We want to be in on the information. Um, so you guys know I uh, put a nail into my foot this week on Tuesday. So if you see me hobbling around, that's why. And if you see me acting weird this morning or if I fall off the stage, it's because of the side effects I'm experiencing from the medicines I'm allergic to. So there you go. Um, that's me. Tell, I'm telling you what happened uh, this week, and I'm here. Praise the Lord. So uh, just be aware of that. So uh, if I need medical attention, you know, you can dial 911. So anyway, um, but we're in the midst of this series on the life of David. And we're in a place and time in our culture where a lot of people are asking, what's happening? What is going on in our world? And they're looking for someone to tell them the truth. And that's what, that's what God does. God gives us the full picture of the truth. He gives us the history of his people the history of who he is. He tells us how the world really is. And he tells us that there is both good news and bad news. And this week's title is going to be good news question mark. Because in the midst of the good news that the Bible says that we have and that God gives us, there's bad news. And you know this, right? In the midst of any good news you get, there's bad news. Because there's someone suffering and you're not. Someone else, it, it, you got healed and the other person didn't. Your baby survived and their baby didn't, right? But there's always this angst in our world that it's like good news is never fully good news on this side of eternity. It just isn't, you know? So great, you're, you're healed of something, right? I recovered from COVID. Great. Now am I going to recover from the next thing? <laughs> I, I don't know. And so there's always this tension that we're fighting against in our culture. And good news is always tainted by the reality of the world we live in. That there is death, that none of us are going to get out alive. And that's bad news. It's terrible news. It's something we don't want to think about. We try to keep our lives busy so that we don't have to think about it. Right? And we try to then, if we want to hear bad news, we want to hear someone else's bad news. Tell me what happened that's worse than mine so I can feel better about myself, right? And if I can hear your worst news, then I can step back and go, well, man, God really must like me. I must be better off. And, and right now we're in the midst of the Olympics, right? It's like good news. Oh, wait, they might, not, they might shut it all down. We don't know. And you've got athletes that spent their entire life preparing to be an Olympian who got hurt right before they got to go to the Olympics and they can't go. You've got athletes that, that are winning that weren't supposed to win and athletes that were supposed to are losing. You've got all these things going on and sometimes it can be hard to say what, at the end of the day, what is really good news? Because it seems like everything's tainted that you see that one person who wins and that other person who's weeping. And you're like, oh, I want to celebrate, but I feel bad, and I don't. And that's exactly what, what God does in Scripture, is that he lays out the truth of the world we live in. He tells us that he hasn't come to make everything good news yet, because when he does, it's going to be bad news for people who don't know him. And he's patiently waiting for people to know him before that 
final bad news and good news comes. Remember where we are in the story, okay? Let me catch you up. David at age 11 is anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. At age 12, he becomes the musician for the current king, Saul. Saul was the king the people chose. And remember, God never wanted a king. He told his people, I don't want you to have a king. And yet he prophesied in Deuteronomy and even told them, you're going to want one, but you don't, shouldn't have one. You're going to think that a king will give you good news, that he'll be good for you. And I'm telling you, he will not be good for you. He will demand things from you that you will hate. But if you want a king, I'll give it to you. And that's what God does. Somehow God in his sovereignty allows us to make choices. And God in his sovereignty said, okay, go ahead. They got Saul. Saul was a horrible king. He didn't listen to God. He did everything the opposite of what God wanted him to do. He didn't care really what God had to say. He wanted to make sure things worked out well in his life and in his family. And he didn't really care what God's word said or what God's prophets said. So then God anoints David. David doesn't even want to be king. David's herding sheep, right? Remember the story? He's herding sheep. And out of nowhere, the prophet Samuel comes and says to Jesse, one of your sons, God has told me, I am to anoint as the next king. I don't know about you. If there was already a current king, I wouldn't want to be anointed the next one because the current one might want to kill me. That's not necessarily good news. David's out herding sheep. Jesse's sons pass by. You know the story. He's like, do you have any other sons? He's like, oh, yeah, David's out in the field. Bring him in. Like, he's the one who does all the work. We don't, he's just, he's nothing. They bring David in. It seems like, yep, he's the one. He anoints him, and he leaves. Later, Saul brings David to be a musician in his courts because David is a great musician. I don't know if Saul knew that David was anointed the next king. Probably not. Then David kills Goliath a few years later. He kills Goliath. That's the big story everybody likes to talk about. That's at age about 15, he kills Goliath. He says, if I can hit lions and bears that are moving with my slingshot and stone, surely I can hit a man standing still, right? So David is a disciplined man. He knows how to care for things that can't care for themselves, sheep. And at age 20, he becomes the commander, a commander in Saul's army. He starts winning battles. At 25, David is threatened by Saul and he's on the run. For his life, he's on the run for the next three years. At 28, David fights for King Asius, the Philistine from Gath. Saul and his sons get killed while David's off fighting. He finds out they die. He's broken. At age 30, finally at age 30, age 11, he's anointed king. At age 30, 19 years later, he is now actually anointed the king of Judah, but he doesn't even become the full king for another seven years because Israel rejects him as the king. And it's at age 37, he finally gets the good news fulfilled in his life that was given at age 11. There's a lot of bad news between 11 and 37. And then now that he's anointed king, he commits adultery with Bathsheba. He has a family mess because he has all these wives he wasn't supposed to have and all these sons who hate each other and want to go to war against each other because he didn't do what God said. He did what felt right, what he wanted to do, what seemed right. Now David, we find in the story, is in his 60s. His son Absalom, we looked at last week, has risen up against him. His own family wants to kill him. Absalom has now taken over the kingdom, and David is so miserable in his life, in his 60s, he is so miserable, he gives up. 
He literally walks out of Jerusalem and just gives up and says, I'm done. And he walks away. And still people follow him in his misery. There's still people saying, we still believe in you, you even though you don't believe in yourself. And don't you need people like that in your life sometimes? That'll give you the good news that there is a God and there is a plan that's bigger than your mess or your misery right now? I need that. I need that often. And so here you have David. He's in his 60s. His son has now ran him, basically. He gave it up, and he ran away. And all along the way, he is in deep depression, deep, deep depression. He is in sackcloth and ashes. He is miserable. He just wants to die. See, this is what I love about God. God doesn't mess around with the truth. He tells us the truth about humanity, the truth about life, the truth about what's coming and the future, and he doesn't hide it. Now, we can hide it. We don't want to listen. We don't want to read it. Heck, most of us here, you haven't even read your whole Bible. It's the most important book on the face of the planet, and you've never actually read through it in your life. Why? It is the story of the greatest good news there ever could be. And yes, there's a lot of bad news because God's honest. He doesn't lie like the other gods do. He doesn't say, if you do everything right and work everything out, then I'll love you more than someone else. Sorry, you still live in a broken, lost world. We're all in a mess together. So we dive into the passage. 2 Samuel 16. Now the advice of Ahithophel gave in those days was like someone asking a word from God, which was the regard that both David and Absalom had for Ahithophel's advice. So here's Ahithophel. He is... The guy that gives all the advice to David. David sees him as one of his best advisors. And whatever Ahithophel says typically comes true. This guy is one of the best advisors in the kingdom. Listen to me. It doesn't mean he's a godly advisor. There are great financial advisors all over the world right now that will tell you how to do what you will with your money to get what you want in the end. And they will never ask you the question, what does God want? Maybe God doesn't want you to be wealthy. Ouch. Maybe God doesn't want you to have a retirement. Ouch. Well, that can't be. Why not? Retirement's kind of a new thing if you didn't know that. It used to be families just took care of their old people. You retired them into your house. I'm not saying retirement's bad. I'm not saying planning for retirement's bad. I'm saying that we have all these advisors we run to and we could care less or not whether they know God. Just as long as it works out well. And Ahithophel is one of those guys. He is one of those guys that gives the best advice so that it always works out for the king. But it doesn't mean he's godly. We fast forward. David is on the run. David is now in the countryside and he is exposed. Ahithophel knows this. So Ahithophel gives advice to Absalom. He says, let me choose 12,000 men. Remember, Absalom is David's son. And I will set out in pursuit of David tonight. I will attack him while he's weak and weary, throw him into a panic, and all the people with him will scatter. I will strike down only the king and bring all the people back to you. When everyone returns except the man you're seeking, all the people will be at peace. This proposal seemed good to Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Uh-oh. Ahithophel knows what's going on. He knows he's got David. David's miserable. David won't fight. David's given up at this point. 
He hasn't kind of gotten encouraged and ready to fight again. And Ahithophel knows, if I take it to David now, I can bring peace to the land. Do you realize that Jeremiah says that the false prophets of his day always prophesied peace, peace, always. See, we don't want a war. We don't want to fight. We don't want to embrace the reality of the world that we live in, that it's a fight. And that we can have inner peace. We can have peace with God. But peace in the world, do you realize stuff will eat you if you don't have doors on your house? (laughs) Like, that's the reality of the world we live in. It's not a safe place. And God, Ahithophel knows, if I can take out David, if I can take out his men, then I can bring a peace, but it won't be a lasting peace. It'll be temporary because somebody will fight again. Somebody will raise up to kill somebody else. And is that really what God wants? Look at the next passage. Then Absalom said, summon Hushai the archite also. Let's hear what he has to say as well. So Hushai came to Absalom and Absalom told him, Ahithophel offered this proposal. Should we carry out his proposal? If not, what do you say? By the way, Absalom is not a very confident leader. You want to know why? He has had no discipline in his life. We looked at that last week. David didn't do a good job disciplining his sons. He was not a good dad. Yet God still loved David, still used David, and still used his sons to bring his savior into the world, Jesus. See, that's hope for us. That's good news and bad news right there. And so here you have this, and and Absalom is so like, I don't know what to do. I've never really fought a lot. I I, I just need to ask people what to do because notice that Absalom doesn't pray, nor does he go to God. He doesn't go to the scriptures, nor does he pray. He just keeps asking other people what they should do. He keeps clicking on YouTube links to find out what he should do. He doesn't stop and pray and sacrifice and ask God, what do you think, God? Partly because he's in rebellion. He probably doesn't want to talk to God, which is what most of us do. Then it goes on, look, and it says, Hushai replied to Absalom, the advice Ahithophel has given this time is not good news. It's not good advice. Hushai continued, you you know your father and his men. They are warriors and they are desperate like a wild bear robbed of her cubs. Your father is an expert our experienced soldier who won't spend the night with the people. This is all a lie. (laughs) Like, David is miserable. All of his soldiers have sackcloth and ashes on. They're out in the open exposed. And remember who Hushai Hushai is. Hushai is the guy that passed by David on the road when David was in sackcloth and ashes and was weeping. And he's like, king, what is wrong? And he found out Absalom. And David said, go back and inform me and help me on what is going on. I don't know what God wants, but would you go back and... So, so he's actually a spy. <laughs> and he's giving this opposite advice. He most likely knew all that David, that he was vulnerable. He knew these things. And so he goes on, he said, look at what he says. He's probably, David's probably already hiding in one of the caves or some other place. If some of our troops fall first, someone is sure to hear and say there's been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even brave men with the heart of a lion will melt because all Israel knows that your father and the valiant men with him are warriors. Instead, I advise you that all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, as numerous as the sand on the sea, be gathered to you and that you personally go into battle. In other words, he plays on Absalom's pride. Don't let Ahithophel get the credit for the battle. Don't you want the credit? Don't you want to be recognized? Don't you deserve? Isn't that every commercial now that you turn on? You deserve. You've worked hard. 
It's yours. I don't deserve anything. He goes on, he says this, Then we will attack David wherever we find him, and we will descend on him like the dew on the ground. Not even one will be left of all the men with him. If he retreats to some city, all Israel will bring ropes to that city, will drag its stones to the end of the valley until not even a pebble can be found there. It's amazing to me that Hushai does a good job. Ahithophel gives a very short answer, a very precise answer, a this is what we should do. Hushai is embellishing Absalom's pride. Oh, we'll do this, and then we'll do this, and then you could do this, and then you can do this. And Ahithophel's like, no, just do this. See, we love to ignore solid advice that that will pan out because we, we like the... Advice that gives us excuses if it doesn't work out, right? And so here you have it. But look at the next passage. Verse 14 tells us why all this is happening. Since the Lord had decreed that Ahithophel's good advice be undermined in order to bring about Absalom's ruin. Absalom and all the men of Israel said, this advice of Hushai the archite is better than Ahithophel's advice. Hushai then told the priest, Zodak, and Abithathar, that this is what Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and this is what I advised. Now send someone quickly and tell David, again, more spies in the camp, don't spend the night in the wilderness fort of the Jordan, but be sure to cross over the Jordan, or the king and all his people with him will be destroyed. In other words, you need a barrier. You need something to slow this army that's going to come kill you down. Jonathan and Ahimaaz were standing at in. In Rogel, where the, a servant girl would come and pass along information to them. They, in turn, would go and inform the king because they dared not be seen entering the city. However, a young man did see them and informed Absalom. So the two left quickly and came to the house of a man in Barham. He had a well in his courtyard and they climbed down into it. His wife took the cover, placed it over the mouth of the well, and scattered grain on it so nobody would know anything. Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house and asked, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? They passed by towards the water, the woman replied to them. The men searched but did not find him, so they returned to Jerusalem. It's like the Underground Railroad going on. That's literally what's happening. And that's what happens when people do what they want to do and they don't ask God what he wants. You have to have Underground Railroads. It goes on, it says, After they had gone, Ahimaaz and Jonathan climbed out of the well and went and informed King David. They told him, Get up, and immediately... Ford the river. Ford means to cross, right? You got to get all your people and your stuff across the river. For Ahithophel has given this advice against you. So David and all the people with him got up and crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, there was no one who had not crossed the Jordan. See, Hushai's advice bought them enough time to get away. He played on the pride. God allowed this whole situation to happen. And that's what will happen to us. Our enemy will play on our pride. He will play on our rights, what we think we deserve, and we will, we will lose the battle because that's what's getting ready to happen. Oh, and by the way, David prayed in 2 Samuel 15. If you go back and look, David pleaded, the Bible says. It says, Lord David pleaded, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Because he knew Ahithophel always gets, gets it right for what the person he represents wants. Which isn't necessarily God. And so, in, so God is answering David's prayer here that he prayed. David didn't know. He just said, God, I know, please. Look at what happens. This next passage, tune in. 
When Ahithophel realized that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, he set out for his house in his hometown, he set affairs in order, and hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. We live in a world where people are doing this every day. The advice that they followed is failing them and they're putting their affairs in order and they're killing themselves. It's at an all-time high right now coming out of COVID and in COVID. The suicide rate's off the charts, but they won't talk about it. No, 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 no. We don't want to talk about the fact that we still need to interact with one another. We still need to connect because being alone is miserable. It's called solitary confinement and it leads to craziness and death. I'm not saying we shouldn't be careful how we gather and how we do things. I'm just telling you, you have to look at what God says. God tells us there are going to be plagues. There are going to be problems. You are going to die. You are going to make people sick and people are going to make you sick. Welcome to Mother Teresa. Welcome to all the saints of the past who gave their lives in serving sick people and they didn't have medicine and they didn't know there were germs. And we as Christians have better be careful how we see things because if we just follow the advice we're given without pausing and saying, what would God want me to do that is loving and caring? No, he doesn't want me to go into a nursing home, right, and just you know, nine months ago and walk around and kiss every person. No, wrong answer. That's not loving because you may be carrying a disease, it's not pride. It's not saying, I'm going to, I'll show those authorities. I'm not going to listen to them. It's asking the question, are the authorities right? What does God say? Let me pause here for a moment. Why do I just say, listen to the experts, when the experts don't know what they're doing? And the experts disagree. I don't know if you've seen that. And I'm not just talking about this. I'm talking about all kinds of stuff. What does it matter if you build bigger barns and you have millions of dollars in the bank if the American dollar collapses? It's going to be Confederate money you wipe your rear end with. I'm telling you right now. That's what it'll be good for. And God tells us every nation will fall. Not, it, not every nation will fall. We don't know when. We don't know how long. I'm grateful to be in this nation. I am grateful for how this nation came together and how God has used it for the advancement of his message of the good news of the gospel in the world. But God uses all kinds of nations. God's using China right now. God's using Iran. Iran has a revival they can't contain for the gospel right now. You may not know that. News isn't ever going to report that. They're having house churches explode and they can't stop it. The more they kill them, the more they rise up. It's incredible what God is doing. And here, if you don't listen to God's advice, if you don't follow what he says, if you're about yourself and about those around you you align with, I am telling you, you will come to a place of misery like this. And in this moment, can I just tune in online? Look at me. Don't kill yourself. There is hope. There is good news. We'll see it in just a minute. There is incredible good news. And Ahithophel, if he would have just waited for the king to return, he would have seen the good news. Because when David comes back, he extends grace and mercy to everyone who's betrayed him, like Abraham Lincoln did to the south during the Reconstruction period. Most of the northern generals wanted to go into the south, take everything, and annihilate him. And Lincoln said, no, there's been enough bloodshed. We go on in the story. 
David had arrived at Manhattan by the time Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Now Absalom had appointed Amsa over the army in Joab's place. Joab was traveling with David. Amsa was the son of a man named Ithra and the Israelite. Ithra had married Abigail, daughter of Nahash. Abigail was sister to Zariah, Joab's mother. And Israel and Absalom camped in the land of the Gilead. Families are a mess in this. This is absolute family mess. All these... this is like the Civil War, brother against brother. It is, it is a, it's a disaster because, again, we can't pause and say, what does God say? We already have our lines drawn. We've already made our decisions. We're not changing unless God changes us. And God says, okay, I'll do that. Matthew 10 explains this same thing. In Matthew 10, this is Jesus speaking to his followers. He says, don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that the members of your household want you out of the way. See, this is hard for us because we look around and we see other people's lives that have worked out well. They're still married. Their kids still like them. Their kids walk with God. And we look at that and we say, well, it must, must be something I've done. Do you realize all of those people have a personal choice how to respond to you in your sin and in your mess? And do you realize that we have a God in Jesus Christ who responded to us in our mess and our sin by dying for us, by laying down his life, by speaking the truth and holding us accountable, but by taking the punishment that you and I deserve? That is not a message we like. It is not a message you'll see in a moment the people that David's leading likes. When David came to Maharam, Shobi, son of Nahash from Rabbah and the Ammonites, Macher, son of Amiel from Lodibar, and Brazilla the Gileite from Roglam, brought beds, basins, and pottery items. They also brought wheat, barley flour, roasted grains, beans, lentils, honey curds, sheep, and cheese from the herd for David and the people with him to eat. They reasoned, the people must be hungry, exhausted, and thirsty in the desert. These people are acting exactly how Jesus said to act. Look at what Jesus said about the good news. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, which hasn't happened yet, it's coming when he will come back, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. In other words, he's going to come as a king. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Interesting that David was a shepherd, that God had set this up thousands of years and these pictures up for us to see. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, and the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In other words, you didn't earn it, it was prepared for you. You can't earn it, it's a gift. You don't earn gifts, that's called wages. He goes on and says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. That's just what happened when these people brought out food to David and his men and his people. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And look at their response. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you all of these things? When? When? I don't remember seeing you. I don't remember you coming up to me. Jesus says, and the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. 
Notice he uses the word brothers. He could have used the word neighbor. That is a Greek word that could have been used. He uses brother. That means other believers. That's important. He's saying other, whatever you did for the believers, for those who are following me. See, we want to read this verse and say, yeah, that's why we just go feed everybody and we just do all this stuff. That's, that's a misinterpretation of the verse. It doesn't mean we shouldn't take care of our neighbor. Jesus talks about that in other places. But in this passage, Jesus is saying how you identify with the body of Christ is evidence of your salvation. It's evidence of do you really know him? Or are you, like Ahithophel, using all the relationships to give to so that you can maybe get something back versus just giving yourself to God and his body and his people. He goes on, he says, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who cursed, who are cursed in the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So the first was good news, this is bad news. And then Jesus says, for I was all of these things and you ignored it. You ignored my people. You ignored me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger, without clothes, sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me either. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It doesn't mean that these people didn't do these things, didn't feed people. They probably had a family they fed. They probably had kids they clothed. They probably helped care for sick people that they knew. See, what's your motive? That's the key. David reviewed his troops and appointed commanders of hundreds and thousands over them. He then sent the troops, a third under Joab, a third under Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zeruiah, and a third under Iddah, the the Gittite. The king said to the troops, I will also march out with you. Remember, he's in his mid-60s here. (laughs) I'm going to march out with you. You must not go, the people pleaded. If we have to flee... They will not pay any attention to us, even if half of us die. They will not pay any attention to us because you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it is better if you support us from the city. And David actually humbles himself, and he goes on and he says, I'll do whatever you think is best. He humbles himself. He says, oh, okay, okay, then I'll stand at the gate. And you know David was standing at the gate and praying. Can I just tell you, some of the greatest ministry that happens, happens to those that are older, that can't serve anymore, but their prayers and the prayers of the saints, God honors. And you have no idea what's happening in your life because there are people praying over you and you've had healings you never saw, you had things that happened you never saw because there are people that are praying for you and that's all they can do because they're 65 and they can't go to war anymore. And that's not a ministry we pay for anymore in the church. Tell me one church that has the pastor of prayer that they pay for. And Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. That's an indictment. We got to be careful that, that, that we have prayer warriors that we're raising up, that we care for them, that we give them the ability to do that ministry. When I say that, you know who I'm talking about in this church. That we lift them up and we encourage them and we say, what resources do you need? And heck, we don't even have to ask that because their family's providing the resources for them to be the prayer warriors for this body. It's amazing. And that's exactly what David does. He listens. He stood beside the gate while all the troops marched out by hundreds and thousands. Can you imagine the brokenheartedness? I want to go fight. I want to pick up the sling again. I want to do what I've always done. I'm David, the Goliath killer. But instead I have to sit and pray and watch 
and trust the Lord for what he's going to do. The king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Nadi, treat the young man Absalom gently for my sake. That's his son. And all the people heard the king's orders to all the commanders about Absalom. In other words, everybody knew what he said. Then David's forces marched into the field to engage Israel in battle, which took place in the, in the forest of Ephraim. The people of Israel were defeated by David's soldiers, and the slaughter there was vast that day, 20,000 casualties. The battle spread over the entire region, and that day the forest claimed more people than the sword. Absalom was riding on his mule when it happened to meet David's soldiers. When the mule went under a tangled branches of, large, of a large oak tree, Absalom's head was caught fast in the trees. Remember his hair that we read about last week? He had a great head of hair. Be careful, ladies. You might not want a great head of hair. It could get you caught in something you don't want to be caught in. Okay, next. I'm just kidding. The mule under him kept going, so he was suspended in midair. One of the men saw him and informed Joab. He said, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. You just saw him, Joab exclaimed. Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? I would have given you 10 silver pieces and a belt. This guy's smarter than Joab. The man replied to Joab, even if I had the weight of a thousand pieces of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For we heard the king command you, Abishai and Idai, protect the young man Absalom for me. If I had jeopardized my own life and nothing is hidden from the king, you would have abandoned me. <laughs> I would have killed him and you would have been like, oh yeah, he killed him. I don't know why. I would, I would have done that. Right? Joab's trying to get somebody else to do his dirty work. See, Joab is a man of no mercy, no grace. It's just vengeance. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to make it right. He doesn't wait for the courts to decide. He takes matters into his own hands. That's Joab. It's always been Joab. David already cursed him chapters before this because of his actions like this. He probably should have done more than that, but he didn't. So then Joab. Oh, and by the way, I love that it talks about the pieces of silver, right? I would not betray the son for pieces of silver. Who betrayed the son for pieces of silver? Judas. It's amazing how God brings these stories back around because he wants to make it very clear to us that he has a plan, that it is good news, that there's bad news in the midst of it, but I'm making it happen. Trust me. Joab said, I'm not going to waste time with you. In other words, taking vengeance. He then took three spears in his hands, thrust him into Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the oak tree. And ten young men who were Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him, and killed him. Afterward, Joab blew the ram's horn, and the troops broke off their pursuit of Israel because Joab restrained them. So Joab shows restraint. Why? Well, I got rid of Absalom. There's no sense in killing more people. At least he's got some wisdom. And then it says, they took Absalom, threw him into a large pit in the forest, and piled a huge mound of stones over him, and all Israel fled to his own tent. Can I just tell you, when you've listened to the wrong voices, when you've tried to raise yourself up and earn your rights and earn what you want, like Absalom did, and take matters into your own hands, it's going to end with you and everyone else in confusion. It always does. Versus trusting the Lord to work things out. When he was alive, Absalom had set up a pillar for himself in the king's valley, for he had said, I have no son to preserve the memory of my name. He had daughters, but no sons. So he gave the pillar his name, and it's still called Absalom's monument today. In other words, God still allowed Absalom to be remembered. He still allows us to remember bad news. Do you realize, I don't know how this is going to work, but when the book of Revelation says we are going to call Jesus for all of eternity the lamb that was slain. I thought there was going to be no crying, weeping, or sadness in heaven but we're going to know that he was a lamb that was slain because of our sin. 
That's how we're going to refer to him. You want to know why? Because God takes bad news and turns it into good news. That's what he does. He says, yeah, he was slain. You all are sinners. But man, isn't he good? Isn't he? Look at his grace. Isn't he loving? He goes on. He says, Amahaz, son of Zodak, said, please let me run and tell the king the good news. There it is. The good news that the Lord has delivered him from his enemies. Joab replied to him, you are not the man to take the good news today. You do it another day. But today you aren't taking good news because the king's son is dead. Remember, this guy, Ahimehaz, he is the son of the high priest. he's, He's the son of Zadok, the high priest that we read about earlier. This guy's excited that that finally things have been made right. He wants to tell David. He wants to go back. And Joab's like, hold on. We don't need you being all excited, you know, giving all kinds of your excited good news because the king's going to be sad. We need somebody a little more level-headed that isn't just going to blurt out they're excited, right? You're not going to walk into a cancer ward and go, I'm healed of cancer. Sorry, all you guys. Like, no, no, no. Like, but if it's God's will, we should be able to tell whether it's good news or bad news. We should be able to trust God with it. Tell it. He goes on and says, Joab then said to the Cushite, go tell the king what you've seen. The Cushite bowed to Joab and took off running. However, I love this, Ahimehaz, son of Zadok, persisted and said to Joab, no matter what, please let me also run behind the Cushite. Joab replied, my son, why do you want to run since you won't get a reward? In other words, he's going to get the reward, not you. You're going to give the bad news. You're going to say, your son's dead. Yay, you've been delivered. My son, why? And he says, no matter what, I want to run. Then run, Joab said to him. So Amahaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. I love that. It's like the Olympics, right? Like I'm going I'm to pick the fastest guy, the Cushite, and send him. And Amahaz like, I'm not getting beat today, right? It goes on, it says, David was sitting between the two gates when the watchman went up to the roof of the gate and over the wall. The watchman looked and saw a man running alone. He called out and told the king. The king said, if he's alone, he bears good news. As the first runner came closer, I don't know why David knew that. I don't know why David declared that, but he did. As the first runner came closer, the watchman saw another man running. He called out to the gatekeeper, look, another man is running alone. This one is also bringing good news, said the king. The watchman said, the way the first man runs looks to me like the way Ahimaaz, son of Zodok, runs. I love that this guy has such an interesting gait in the way he runs. From a distance, they're like, oh yeah, that's how he runs. Some of you might run that way. Some of you might be like, oh yeah, here comes Matt. Yep, that's Matt running. It's in slow-mo. He's getting here, you know. But that's hilarious to me. God, listen, God tells the full story. He gives details that he doesn't have to give because it's real. This isn't fake. This isn't made up. This is a good man. He comes with good news, the king commented. Ahimaaz called out to the king, all is well, and then bowed down to the king with his face to the ground. He continued, may the Lord your God be praised. I love that Ahimaaz, you'll see, he starts out his good news by saying, this isn't about you, David. This isn't about me. This isn't about Israel. This is about our God who deserves praise. That's the way we should be telling news. It's not about us, it's not about bad, it's not about good. It's about who gets the praise. Then he goes on and he says, delivered up the men who rebelled against my lord the king. The king asked, is the young man Absalom all right? Ahimehaz replied, when Joab sent the king's servant and your servant, I saw a big disturbance, but I don't know what it was. The king said, move aside, stand here. So he stood to one side. 
So full good news. Doesn't know Absalom's dead yet. Just then the Cushite came and said, may the Lord, the king, hear the good news. Remember, this isn't praise for God. This is, I'm giving you news that's worked out for you, kind of. Today the Lord has delivered you from all those rising up against you. The king asked the Cushite, is the young man Absalom all right? The Cushite replied, may what has become of the young man happen to the enemies of my Lord, the king, and to all who rise up against you with evil intent. David knew. The king was deeply moved and went to the gate chamber and wept. As he walked, he cried, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. If only I had died instead of you, Absalom. My son, my son. Have you ever seen this? I have as a pastor. I've watched parents crying out for the life of their children. And I've watched some of those children survive and I've watched some of those children not survive. And I've seen where these fathers, they cry out, can can I just tell you what happened to Absalom? We have a God that his entire plan from the beginning was to give his son. His entire plan from the beginning was to experience the death that we experience. His entire plan from the beginning was never to do anything to us that he wasn't willing to put on himself. There is no other being or God on the face of the planet that's like that. And there's no person like that. So when Jesus died, he was hanging on his cross, not for what he did wrong, but for what we did wrong. Can you imagine the weeping in heaven, the brokenness over the death? It goes on and it says, for everyone who calls, Romans 10 says this, Can there be good news about a dead son? Romans 10 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him who they not believed him? How can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a runner, without a preacher? And they're not talking about preacher me. They're talking about you all. You go out to preach, to tell people the good news because there's a lot of bad news out there. And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, look at this, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel. That means good news of good things. But all did not obey the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message, the good news about Jesus, that Jesus died for what we deserve. It was reported to Joab, the king is weeping. He mourned over, he was mourning over Absalom. That day's victory was turned into mourning for all the troops because on that day the troops heard the king is grieving over his son. So they returned to the city quietly. That day, like people come in when they are humiliated after fleeing in battle. This should have been a celebration. This should have been good news and there's brokenness and weeping. But the king hid his face and cried at the top of his voice, my son Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. Jesus said this, the person who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The person who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. A cross is not good news, by the way. It's bad news. It means you're going to be executed if you're carrying a cross. Anyone finding his life will lose it, and anyone losing his life because of me will find it. David, again, is caught in his depression and his misery, and he's not thinking about the future. He's not thinking about what's happened. He's just kind of focused on himself. Listen, that happens sometimes. We get stuck. 
Then Joab went into the house to the king and said, Today you have shamed all your soldiers, those who rescued your life and the lives of your sons and daughters, your wives and your concubines. You love your enemies and hate those who love you. That's what I just read in Matthew. We live in a culture that people will do anything for their children, but don't ask them to do anything for the church. I'm busy with my family stuff. My real family is blood. That family is just borrowed blood of Jesus. And if that doesn't sting you a little bit, it should. That we need to take seriously. It doesn't mean we hate our family. It doesn't mean we try to make. It just means that I have to follow God and follow his people. And if my kid rises up against me or if things happen, it doesn't mean I want him dead. David wasn't like, go kill Absalom because he's rebellious. He's like, please, I, I want to give him mercy. I want to give, I give him a, a second chance. That should be our heart for those that hate us. Not I'm going to get him back. That's Joab's heart. That's wrong. But here Joab is looking at David and he's saying, why? Why are you loving Absalom more than the people who laid their life down for you? Wake up. And then he goes on and he says this. Today you've made it clear that the commanders and soldiers mean nothing to you. In fact, today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead, it would be fine with you. I don't know that that would be true. I think Absalom's kind of making a little statement there like a zinger, but I don't know that David would actually be happy. But isn't this true sometimes? That in the midst of a tragedy, our biggest concern isn't the 10 people who died, but did our kids survive? The bus wrecked. Oh, is our kid alive? Or does our heart first run to the other people? Because, well, I know my kid knows the Lord, so I'm not really concerned, but I know Johnny and Susie, and I know the the friends that were with my kid who don't know God and are going to have to face him, and that scares the bejeebers out of me. See, that's a different perspective, and David needed to hear that perspective. Now get up, go out and encourage your soldiers, for I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will remain with you tonight. This will be worse for you than all the trouble that has come on you from your youth until now. In other words, get up, David, go. So the king got up and sat at the gate, and all the people were told, Look, the king's sitting in the gate. Then they all came into the king's presence. Meanwhile, each Israelite fled to his own tent. Remember, the Israelites were the ones, they're different tribes. There's 12 of them. Ten of them followed Absalom, Judah, mainly that tribe, followed David. That's what you're seeing when you read this passage. All the people among the tribes of Israel arguing, the king delivered us from the grass of our enemies and he's rescued us from the grass of the Philistines, but now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, the man we anointed over us, has died in battle. So why do you, do you say nothing about restoring the king? Now they're having an argument. They're like, uh-oh, our plan failed. Now what do we do? Well, we should probably tell David, hey, thanks for being back and bring him back. King David said a word to the priests, Zadok and Abathar, say to the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to restore the king to his palace? The talk of all Israel has reached the king at his house. Remember, Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah because Judah steps up to bring back the king. Then it says, the talk of all Israel has reached the king at his house. You are my brothers, my flesh and blood. Remember, David was from Judah. So why should you be the last to restore the king? And tell Amzah, aren't you my flesh and blood? May God punish me and do so severely if you don't become commander of the army now from now on instead of Joab. And now David's like, I'm done with Joab. He doesn't listen. So he went over all the men of Judah and they sent word to the king, come back and you and all your servants. Then the king returned. When he arrived at the Jordan, 
Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and escort him across the Jordan. Shimei, son of Gera, a Benjamite from Barham, hurried down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were 1,000 men from Benjamin with him. Ziba, an attendant from the house of Saul, with his 15 sons and 20 servants, also rushed down to the Jordan ahead of the king. Do you want to know why these guys were first? Because they cursed. Remember last week? These were the two guys that turned their back on David. Do you remember that last week? Well, Ziba didn't really turn his back on David, but he was manipulating him. But do you remember that Shimei was the one that was cursing David and throwing rocks at him and actually hitting him with rocks? Do you remember that? Uh, Mike's leaving. I'll, I'll let you know why. I'm going to embarrass him for a sec. His son is getting baptized. Cole. So praise the Lord. So he's going to his, the other church where his son is at and his son's being baptized. So we celebrate that. See ya. I just want to let you guys know it's awesome. So... And so here you have Shimei, the guy that's stoning David, now is running back and saying, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I was wrong. They forded the Jordan to bring the king's household across to do whatever the king desired. When Shimei, son of Gera, crossed the Jordan, he fell down before the king and said to him, my Lord, don't hold my guilt or don't hold me guilty and don't remember your servant's wrongdoing in the day the Lord the king left Jerusalem. May the king not take it to heart, for your servant knows now that I have sinned. But look, today I am the first of the entire house of Joseph to come down and meet my Lord the king. Abishai, son of Jeriah, asked, shouldn't Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? You can't go against the Lord's anointed or you're cursed. Look at this. Look at this. David, this is the guy that was stone, throwing stones at David, hitting him with stones all the way up the mountain, cursing him, awful things. David answered, son of Jeriah, do we agree on anything? Have you become my adversary today? Should any man be killed in Israel today? Am I not aware that today I'm king over Israel? Do I have to do something else to prove what I have? Do we have to do something else to prove that we have salvation, that is a gift from God, is the good news? No, we don't. So the king said to Shimei, you will not die. And the king gave him this oath. Guys, that's called grace. That's called mercy. That's called Jesus. And that's exactly what happens here. Then look, Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, also went down to meet the king. He had not taken care of his feet, trimmed his mustache, or washed his clothes from the day the king left until he was returned safely. Remember, he was handicapped. He couldn't do those things. He needed someone else to help him. And Ziba, the other guy, left him. When he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, Mephibosheth, why didn't you come with me? My lord, the king, he replied, my servant Ziba betrayed me. Actually, your servant said, I'll saddle the donkey for myself so that I may ride it and go, go with the king. For your servant is lame. Ziba slandered your servant. Uh-oh. Man, we need some justice here, don't we? To my lord, the king, but the lord... King is like the angel of God. Do whatever you think is best. For my grandfather, this is, remember, Mephibosheth is Saul's lineage. All the rest of the world, you kill all the lines so that the king can't come back. And David brought Mephibosheth to live in his house. That's grace and mercy. For my grandfather's entire family deserves death from my lord the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. So what further right do I have to keep on making appeals to the king? Man, that is the right heart before God. You've given me everything. You've already done so much for me. What more could I ask for? I just want to do what you want. The king said to him, why keep on speaking about these matters of yours? I hereby declare you and Ziba are to divide the land. Mephibosheth said to the king, instead, since my lord the king has come to this place safely, let Ziba take it all. Oh my gosh. 
Mephibosheth's heart is amazing. He's like, I don't care. I'm just glad you're back. I'm glad you returned to get me. I'm glad I'm safe. I'm glad I'm going to be with you. Let Ziba have all that junk. Let him have all the land. Let him have all the riches. I've got you. Wow! Brazilla the Gilead had come down from the Reglim and accompanied the king to the Jordan River to set off to the Jordan. Brazilla was a very old man, 80 years old, and he's walking like he's trying to get down there. Since he was a very wealthy man, he had provided for the needs of the king while he stayed in Manhattan. The king said to Brazilla, come over with me and I'll provide for you at my side in Jerusalem. Barzilla said to the king, how many ta- years of my life are left that I should go up to Jerusalem with the king? I'm now 80 years old. Can I discern what's pleasant and what's not? He's like, what's good news? What's bad news? I don't know. I'm just trying to make it to the end, man. He goes on, can your servant taste what he eats or drinks? He's like, I can't even taste and smell anymore. I'm so old, right? So I'm going to go to your, you know, whatever. I just want to go back and serve my people until I'm called home. Can I still hear the voice of male and female singers? He can't even hear. He's deaf too. Man, this guy's got a lot of issues. Why should your servant be added an added burden to the Lord my king? Since your servant is only going with the king a little way across the Jordan, why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant return so that I may die in my own city near the tomb of my father and mother. But here is your servant, Chimham. Let him cross over with my lord the king and do for him what seems good to you. I love this. Barzilla takes the opportunity to say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not worth it. But who can I bless? Who can I give a blessing to? Who can I have grace and mercy on and say, take him with you. That's the way we should be. Instead of looking to get the blessing ourselves, it's, it's, I want you to see the blessings of God. The king replied, Shimham will cross over with me and I will do for him what seems good to you and whatever you desire for me, I will do for you. I'm going to treat him like a son. He's, he's mine now. This is going to be great. So all the people crossed the Jordan, and then the king crossed. The king crossed, or kissed Barzilla and blessed him, and Barzilla returned to his home. The king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went with him. All the troops of Judah and half of Israel's escorted the king. Then the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went with him. All the troops of Judah and half of Israel escorted him. Oh, sorry, I repeated that. Suddenly all the men of Israel came to the king. They asked him, why did our brothers, the men of Judah, take you away secretly and transport the king and his household across the Jordan along with David's men? All the men of Judah responded to the men of Israel, because the king is our relative. Why does this make you angry? Why does it make you so mad that you're not getting credit? Why does it make you so mad that you didn't get to do it? You have to be a part. You have to do the thing. Why can't you just celebrate that it's being done? Have we ever eaten any of the kings? Uh, anything of the kings or been honored at all? In other words, we haven't you manipulated David in the past. The men of Israel answered the men of Judah. We have shares, 10 shares living shares in the king. That's the other tribes. So we have a greater claim to David than you. We're more saved than you are. <laughs> We know Jesus way better than you know him. That's just pride and arrogance. Why then do you despise us? Weren't we the first to speak of restoring the king? Judah wasn't despising them. Judah's like, we just restored the king and you're upset about it. That's good news, but now you see it as bad news because you didn't get to do it first, so you look bad for not doing it. Isn't this what we do often? That's why Jesus was murdered. That's why he was crucified. He exposed the Pharisees. And they said, we can't have that. We've got to kill him. But the words of the men of Judah were harsher than those of the men of Israel. 
They were just true. They were like, uh-uh, you're not going there. We're not playing this game. This is what's true. As we wrap up, I'm going to give you some final scriptures about the good news. You see David's response of grace and mercy and compassion when he should have killed these guys. And that's our God. All this is just a picture of the, the king that will come someday, the king that's reigning right now in heaven, waiting to be sent back, who, like David, is waiting and weeping and he's serving so that we will be changed and be ready when he comes back. This is just a picture of what will happen. Galatians 1, Paul writes this, grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. From God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. We've got bad news. It's an evil age, but there's good news. There's grace and there's peace. According to the will of God the Father to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different good news. Turn into Absalom. You're turning to something else instead of staying focused on the good news of what this life's really about and the end that comes. Not that there is another good news, another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to change the good news about Messiah. They want to take the good news and the truth about the bad news and the good news, heaven and hell, the broken world we live, and Jesus needing to come, destroy this world and make a new one. They want to take that and they want to twist it. They want to make it sound better and more palpable like a Ahithophel. Instead of just speaking the truth. So I am eager to preach the good news to you, Paul says, who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the good news, the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, also to the Greek. For in it God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be made known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. Romans 1 says that God has tried to get people's attention and they continue to ignore him because they're trying to make a world for themselves, a life for themselves, a family for themselves, a heritage for themselves. They want nothing to do with the true heritage he lays out in scripture because it's way too impossible. Matter of fact, it's absolutely impossible unless he does it. Goes on and says this in Romans. Paul says he's a slave of Jesus Christ, calls an apostle, singled out for God's good news, which he promised long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David, according to the flesh, and who has been declared to be the powerful son of God by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness. That's the good news right there. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, Jesus tells us the good news. He tells us the bad news, and he says, they will hand you over for persecution, and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of me, because of my name. Remember, his name means Yahweh saves. Then many will take offense, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, because lawlessness will multiply. The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be delivered. This good news of the true kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The reason Jesus hasn't come back yet 
is because he's still like David, wanting to show mercy and grace to people who don't deserve it. He's still waiting for us to be his messengers to people who have thrown stones at us, who have cursed us. To call them to the love and mercy and grace and peace and truth and justice of God. See, the people that came to David admitted their sin. They came to him and fell before him. And he extended them what our Savior extends to us. See, that is the good news. There's bad news. But can I tell you, if you reject the good news about Jesus, if you say, I don't know if I believe all this religious stuff, I don't know if I believe all this Jesus stuff and Trinity and all that, what's your alternative? Can I just tell you, you're going to end up like Shimei. Shimei, you're going to end up coming to the end of your life trying to put your affairs in order and just dying and that's it. The Bible says it doesn't have to end that way. The Bible says it can end with us going to our final grave knowing that we're going to stand with God forever and that he will give us a home on this earth again someday. That's crazy, I know, but Jesus came back from the dead to prove it. And that's what Paul says. The good news is that there's there's a religious leader, only one, who died, who taught, did everything, died, and then came back to life to say, "Um, I got the thing you're looking for. that you can't get around. As we close, there's something in this passage I know that has spoken to you, whether it was the commitment that you saw of people to the people of God, that they were willing to jeopardize their own families and their own wealth so that they could serve God's people. Jesus said that's commendable. It proves you understand that they were willing to to serve one another, the brother, and they were willing to give as needed, to lay down their lives, not to demand their own rights. Maybe you've never began a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never surrendered your heart to him. You've never said, I'm done. I've sinned, like Shimei said. I've sinned. I know I have. I've cursed God. I've done the worst of the worst. Can I just tell you? How many times do you have to read grace and peace to get it? That God offers his grace and peace It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't like get good enough and then get it. You just have to come to God and say, I don't deserve it. I shouldn't have it. I surrender. I take it. And for those of you who are believers who are struggling maybe with your relationship with God, can I just tell you, he's not looking down from heaven like a cop trying to get you and catch you in something. He's looking down from heaven as a loving father wanting a relationship. Engage him. Come back to him. Read the Bible. See who he is. Read the book of John. It's a beautiful book about the life of Jesus. I don't know what decision you need to make, but God does. And in the quiet of your heart over the next few minutes, as I pray, as the music team comes up, I pray that you would just go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. Trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these passages. There's a lot here. But Father, I thank you that that you give us good news, that there's bad news. We can't get around it. No religion can get around bad news. There's bad news. We all are going to get sick. We're going to die. We live in a broken world. But the good news is that you overcame death. You overcame this world. And you've gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us so that someday you'll come back and bring us to yourself and that we'll be a part of something that we could never, ever earn. It's a gift. 
So Father, this morning, if there's anyone who doesn't know you, I pray that they would turn to you and they would look to your son and realize that Jesus died for them. He paid the price they deserve for their sin. And that you don't, you don't delight in, in those that perish, the Bible says. It, it, there's no delight in it for you, but you have to be a judge. So I pray that we would delight in you. And Lord, I pray that you would check our hearts and how we use our time, our resources, our lives for you. I pray that you would give us the encouragement that David was able to get from the people in his life. I pray that this body would encourage one another to continue to go forward, to make you known in our community and the lives we touch. A lot of people getting ready to come to town and they don't know you. So Father, I pray that, that your praise would be on our lips like Hushai running. He couldn't help but run and tell the good news. I pray that that would be our heart as believers that we would get close enough to you that we would begin to experience the good news and then want to run and tell others about it instead of distancing ourselves from you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Amen. Amen.